So I think we would all say we hate being trapped in something. Not too long ago, my wife Tina and I, we were in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we went to this place called Ruby Falls, and it's a cave that's about 1,000 feet into the side of a mountain. And I've told you before, I'm pretty claustrophobic, but I wanted to do this because my wife Tina wanted to do this. So I stepped onto this elevator, we close it in with a bunch of people, and they take us down 1,000 feet. And if you're claustrophobic, you get this. It's like breathe, breathe, don't turn into the Incredible Hulk and rip everybody apart in this place trying to get out. And I got to the pod bottom and the doors of the elevator open and I stepped out and now I'm in a cave a thousand feet in a mountain and I thought this is just going to get worse and worse and worse and then in that moment this dude that was about my age all of a sudden goes I got to get out of here somebody get me out of this you know he cursed pretty bad so I won't say what he said and he had to do the walk of shame towards the exit and I thought to myself this shows you how petty I am I thought well, I'm not that guy, so I'm doing okay. Now, in, in that moment, I turned to my left, and on the wall was a sign that said, there are no restrooms in the cave, and it's going to take an hour. And it just dawned on me. I drank a full bottle of water right before we got on there, and I will tell you that story at another time, what happened in the rest of that. But we, we all hate to get trapped in anything, right? But we'd recognize that we all have mindsets, and we all have a way of thinking and seeing the world. And the question that we asked last week is, how... Do you know when a mindset becomes a mind trap? And how do you know how you think and how you see the world, how your wounds, how your family of origin, a mindset that you might have, becomes a mind trap? And in this series, we're just simply talking about three ideas and three common mindsets that can become mind traps. And last week, we talked about the victim trap. If you missed the message, you should go watch it. I think it was super helpful. Today I want to talk about the negativity trap, and I'd want to talk about that today because I knew this would be the Sunday after the election, and no matter who won the election, because we're all part of this mess that we're in, we would have some negativity, maybe more negativity than we have felt in a long time, and I wanted to address this. And then next week you should come back because we're going to talk about the all or nothing trap, and that's a trap we can fall into pretty easy. It's either all or nothing, all or nothing. But to get us to going to Dale along the lines of negativity, I want to give you some scenarios, and I really want you to play along. Um, so here, here we go. You've got to answer a few questions. Um, when it comes to your yearly physical, now I know some of you are way too young to even know what that is, but for those of you that have ever had a physical and you've gotten tested, blood tests, any kind of test you know, that comes along with that, and the doctor walks into the office and is about to read you the test. How many of you in your minds are already thinking, he's going to tell me I'm doing great and I'm in great shape for my test? Anybody go down that line? Okay, one or two over there. How many of you are like, oh, I'm going to die in six months? Does anybody, yeah, I got you. I'm going to die in six months. Yeah, yeah, you feel that, right? How about this? You get a phone call at 2 a.m. in the morning and you're sound asleep and you sit up in bed and your first thought is, oh, this must be my kids calling to tell me what a great parent I am. Any, anybody just go in that direction? All right, how many just assume someone's died? So, something really bad has happened? Yeah, we got some people right there on it. How about you get a text from your boss and your t boss texts you this, um, can you come by my office ASAP? How many of you think he's going to look at you in his office and go, hey, I'm going to give you a raise today. Do you go there? 
How many of you think, oh, either I'm in fire or I'm in really big trouble? Come on, come on. Yeah, yeah, you feel that. And there's this instant thing. And then your boss sends you that text, and then there's those little bubbles that pop up on your phone. And you're like, oh, okay, he's going to explain or she's going to explain what's happening. And then the bubbles go away, and there's nothing. And the, the idea of not knowing is worse than knowing. And you're just like, what in the world is going on? See, see, the good news for you and I is we all feel that negativity. The really good news is there's some freedom from it. There's freedom from what we would call today the negativity trap. The idea that everything is going wrong. We've all been there. As we think through this, you, you may recognize this. There's basically two kinds of people. The first kind of people we run into are the positive people, right? The positive people. They love that movie with that little red-haired girl, Annie, because she's always about the sun's going to come out tomorrow, right? Bet your bottom dollar tomorrow that it's going to something and something and something. I love that movie. And then there's the other group of people. There's the negative people, which probably populate our earth much more than the positive people. Now, what's fascinating to me when it comes to Christianity and people of faith is you can be a negative person or a positive person and use the same Christian lingo. So the positive person is going to say, hey, it's all in the Lord's hands. It's all in God's hands. God's got this, right? Positive. It's all good. The negative person will say, oh, it's all in the Lord's hands. And the world's going to burn. It's in the Lord's hands and everything's going to, you know, you feel that from people. It's the same phraseology, but it's a different perspective. Now, for some of you that may be a little more negative, you would say, I'm not negative. I'm, anybody know the answer? I'm, I'm a realist. I'm a realistic person. I'm not negative. I'm just going to tell you how it's going to work out. I'm not negative. I can just predict your awful future because I know you and I know the world. We've all run into realistic people. Now, here's what I would tell you about me, just a little insight. Um, I, I think I'm probably a little more positive than most, but I have noticed with age and experience and let down a life, I feel a little more negativity. When I was young, I was just positive. When I was dating my wife, Tina, we were in her backyard at her parents' house. It was me, her, and her brother. And there was this dead tree that was about this big. And it was just dead as dead could be. And her brother, who was a little younger than me, said, hey, I bet you can't knock that down. And I was a young, vibrant, young guy, wrestler, all that good stuff. And so I went and I ran into the tree and it fell down. I mean, it was, and I looked at my future wife and I went, are you not impressed? I mean, come on. You, you get this. And then her brother, knowing me just a little bit, said, hey, how about that tree? And the next tree was slightly less dead, but I thought, oh, I got this, so I ran at it even harder. I hit it with my shoulder. It did not move, and it broke me in half. I thought I was going to get surgery over it, because so a little bit of positivity might get you in trouble, but you, you know who you are. And if you don't know if you're positive or negative, just ask the person sitting next to you or that knows you well, because I promise they'll tell you. But for all of us, positive people, negative people, we all have this idea of talking to ourselves, self-talk. And if you're negative, this is where your self-talk can go. And everything is bad. Maybe you said that this week. Maybe you said this last week. Everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket. The economy's going to bomb. The government's going to bomb. My family's going to bomb. And then, then you take it off a big level down to your personal level. You know, my kids are a mess. I'm a mess. My marriage isn't going to work out. My church isn't. You know, it just goes on and on and on. And here's what you realize is negativity is contagious. And in our world, it's contagious. But what I'm convinced is negativity is not the root problem. Negativity is driven in our world and by us. What's really driving it?
is fear. You see, I'm negative about the things I'm really afraid of. I'm most negative about the things I'm afraid is going to happen to the people I care about. And then what happens to for so many of us, we find insight and information in places that agree with our mindset, and the fear just grows, doesn't it? And then we surround ourselves with people that are negative about the same thing, and then there's more fear and more momentum and more catalyst towards more fear and negativity, and those things come together, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in a place where we're totally against things, we're totally upset, and there's rage and there's bitterness, and inside we just bubbling, and our kids don't want to come home for Thanksgiving because they got to hear your speech again about whatever's wrong in the world or wrong in your family, or you know, and it's just corrupts everything. Now luckily for you and for me, the Apostle Paul, this man that wrote over half the New Testament, comes to our rescue. And he writes this precious little letter to a group in Philippi that believed in Jesus. And Paul was close to them and he loved this little group of believers. And he addresses this idea of negativity. Now the cool thing about this is he doesn't look at them and say, hey, just don't be negative. Just be, don't, don't be negative. You know, that never works, right? It's like trying to tell me, just don't eat so much. I'm not going to eat so much until the Oreo cookies go by and then I eat 10 of them. I mean, that just doesn't work for me. He says, and just, he says instead of just not being negative, he says what you need to have is joy. Because joy has the potential to push negativity out of your life. And not joy when things are going great. And not joy in spite of your circumstances, but joy because of our circumstances. And he leans into this life that he is living where things are really hard. Here's the context when Paul writes about joy. It's 62 AD. He's in prison. He's been there for a couple years. He's in a place that's dingy and it's dirty and the food's terrible if there is food. And it's awful. And he knows that the end game is most likely he's going to lose his head, most likely lose his life for what he believed. And in the middle of it, he says, yeah, I have joy, not in spite of my circumstances, but because of them. Look what he writes. This is so helpful to me. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, because this is an everybody play, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What I'm in right now is doing something good today and yet to come. Now think about this. If you just pull yourself out of this story for a second, 2,000 years later, we're talking about this little thing he wrote. It's still having impact on the world. He goes on. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He's in chains. There it is. Not because he's robbed someone or hurt someone or stole or did the wrong tax report. He's in jail for what he believed. He was in jail for literally going around the world and saying, God loves you, Jesus died for you, and there's hope for eternity. That is what he's in jail for. That's what he got in trouble for. He goes on, and because of my chains, the trouble I'm in, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident. I love this word. Just to pause for a minute, I'm not sure this is a word that describes Christianity right now. This is what I think describes a lot of Christians right now. Oh, I'm not sure if it's going to work out. Oh, I'm not sure if God's still in control. Oh, I'm not sure. Look who won. Look who didn't win. I mean, that's just not in the election. That's in every part of our lives. There is an idea of being confident, Paul would say, in the one who has us in his hands. 
have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. The people have this confidence that I have had a chance through my pain and misery, because it was misery. There's something really to fear. But through that, I've had joy because I've watched other people grow and mature, and my own faith is becoming stronger along the way. It's so interesting when you read this little letter to the Philippian church. It's in the New Testament. It's called Philippians. You should read it when you get home. It's only four simple, small chapters. And this four-chapter book in our New Testament, he mentions joy or rejoicing or having joy in the Lord 16 times. You know, and I, I've been reading the last couple of weeks because of this message series, and I thought, how do you have that kind of joy, Paul, when you're in the middle of all the mess and dirty, dingy, ugly prison that you're in? That's because Jesus was a part of my life and changing everything. And as he writes this, he goes on to start talking about how joy is in the mind. You see, our hearts are so deceitful. In fact, Solomon says this, beware your heart because it's deceitful of all things. So you've got to go to your mind when it comes to joy. And so Paul says, wrap your mind around joy. In fact, wrap your mind around this. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure and whatever is lovely and whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, and I love this word, think, Use your brain around these things. Focus on such things. He gives us these beautiful words, true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, and praiseworthy. So this is where your mind should go if you want to escape the negativity trap. And for me, I think about this. You know, How often do I think about what's true and noble? Because in our world right now, it's hard to know what's true, isn't it? I mean, the information we get is so diverse and it doesn't line up. So what's true? Somehow, when you rise above that, there's truth in the face of our Heavenly Father. Whatever is right and pure, my gosh, we have a choice to look at what's wrong and not so pure. And it takes us down roads that taint us and jack us up. I love this. What about looking at lovely and admirable things? You know, you flip through your news feed through Twitter, through Facebook. And, you know, we're all fine. We use Facebook all the time around here. But I'm not sure it's always promoting things that are lovely and admirable, not to mention praiseworthy. And the Apostle Paul would say, this is where you need to camp out. If you've ever camped, you know this. You know, set up your tent, get out your chair, light a fire, get that little lantern thing lit, and plot down and camp out around what is noble and true and praiseworthy and good. The hard part for a lot of us, and I'm right there with you, is I can camp out on what I'm bitter about and angry about, fearful about, and negative about. But Paul would say the answer to having joy is to camp, camp out around these things. Then he goes on, he says, whatever, you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And every time I see this word practice, I think about, I can't say his name, Alan Iverson from years ago. You remember when he got in all that trouble for missing practice? And he shows up on a news conference, press conference, and he talks about practice for like three or four minutes. He's like, practice? We're talking about practice. This is practice. And here's the thing, Alan Iverson, who was a really great point guard, he was a little man's point guard, had a bit of a point. He was so good that maybe he didn't need to practice. I'm not Allen Iverson in my world, certainly not on the basketball court. But when it comes to my everyday, how do I think life? 
I really need to practice. Some of you are naturally positive. Some of you may not need to practice this as much as the rest of us, but the majority of us in this room, we've got to practice how to have our heart and mind set on what is noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. And when those imaginary conversations come up, you know those conversations where you're just telling them off, you're just letting them have it, you're just so right, and you're just kids, your kid, yo, know, your kids are so wrong, and your kids are like, yes, dad, you're the best dad in the world. And if I only just knew what you, you know, have you ever had that with your kids in your mind, right? Paul would say, yeah, you need to practice not doing that, because that's not getting you anywhere. And then the Apostle Paul wraps this up, and he says, and the God of peace, here's a quick question, how many of you would love to have more peace in your life right now? The God of peace will be with you. And I don't think what the Apostle Paul is saying is if you think about the wrong things, you think about um, ugly things, God leaves you because God's promise, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I think what he's saying is God won't leave you, but you will not have God's peace. And you will not have his joy. You put a roadblock to the things that are best about God in your life. And what Paul says is extraordinary. And hopefully to put it into practice, to put it into application for all of us today, I wanted to give you some handles around this. So if you're willing to consider this, whether you're a Christian or not, here's a great step when it comes to negativity. Would you consider taking your thoughts captive? I mean, literally, you can do this if you're not a Christian. When you feel negativity rising up, just grab them and go, nah, not that one. I'm not going there. And if you are a Christian, here's something that is promised that you can do. The Apostle Paul writes in another little letter, he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive, there it is, every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. We literally grab it, we put those negative thoughts in a lock hold and we squeeze it until they go away. The problem with so many of us, and I'm right there with you, instead of doing that, we act a little bit more like this guy. We act like a maitre d' at a really nice restaurant. You you ever been to a really nice restaurant with a really great maitre d'? You walk in and they're like, oh, Mr. Brown, we're so glad you're here. We didn't have you on our reservation list, but let's make a table for you and let's get you silverware and a drink. Sit down and just be here and stay as long as you want. That's what we do with our rage and our bitterness and our negativity and our fear. You just plop down and just stay as long as you want like a good maitre d'. Could, could I make a suggestion? Then instead of being a maitre d' to those things, you'd be a little bit more like this guy. I mean, come on now. Liam Neeson from Taken. Have you ever seen that movie? Your negative thoughts come in, your fear comes in, and you look at it and you go, I don't know who you are, and I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you, I do not have money. But what I do have is a very particular set of skills, skills that I've acquired over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. And if you let my daughter go, that will be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you do not, I will hunt you down. I will find you, and I will kill you. I mean, come on now. Isn't that awesome? 
What it, okay, first of all, if you have a daughter, fathers, that should be your go-to talk every time for your dating daughter. I right? just tip, tip for dads. But what if you said that? What if rage and bitterness and anger come in and you go, I'm going to find you, I'm going to hunt you, and I'm going to kill you, and I'm not letting you be part of my life? As opposed to the maitre d' that says, just come on in. Set up shop, hang out as long as you want. No, I'm going Liam Neeson on your hind end every time. Take those thoughts captive. The, the second idea might be this. Find your inputs. I mean, you know, this is a huge deal for us right now. And we all have to have a little bit of news in our life. But come on, you may be watching the news way too much that just keeps driving your fear and your anger and your negativity. And it just reinforces what you already know. You're not learning anything new. It's just reinforcing it. You need a little bit of news, but you got to be careful about that. you got to be careful with social media. I mean, this is like a record that we keep talking about. But you you flip on social media and you look at, oh, there's another party I didn't get invited to. There's another person that has better filters than me and three filters and ten filters. If you don't know what a filter is, some of you guys, I guess, you don't know. I found this out. It's things you put on your picture that make you better looking than you actually are. I don't think there's a skinny filter, but if you know of one, please share it with me. I would love to have that. But we look on, we look on our social media and people are doing better and their lives are better and they put on their best vacations and we go, oh, I'm just so mad. negative about that now. And not to mention, we align ourselves with people that think negatively just like we do and it just gets bigger and bigger in our negativity. So would you consider different inputs? I mean, here's a novel thought for those of us that follow Jesus. What about spending a little bit more time in the scripture? What about spending a little bit more time with people that are encouraging in your life? Maybe talk to your heavenly father just a little bit more and at least find some balance in it. Inputs are a huge deal for us. The third thing comes from what the apostle Paul said back in the Philippians when he said, rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Would you consider daily to find a way to rejoice in the Lord? Now here's what's so important about this. This is not just, oh yeah, I'm gonna rejoice in the Lord. This is ways to strategically put rejoicing in the Lord in your life. Like literally, I'm going to set a timer and I'm going to be reminded a couple times a day. I need, pa- be, I need to pause and remember God can be rejoiced in. And if you're here and you're not a Christian and you're like, what does that even mean? That is such a weird thing, Matt. Is that just like a Christian language thing? And I get that. But even if you don't believe in what I believe about God, you still can find some stuff to rejoice in, can't you? Something that's beautiful and good in our world to rejoice in. But if you are a Christian, this is what we do. We rejoice in the fact that God gave his son to die on a cross for us. That when we were at our very worst and our very ugliest and most sinful, a perfect God hung on a cross for you because he loved you. And what you have been given is absolute forgiveness and freedom and entrance into the kingdom of God. What do you mean I don't have anything to rejoice in? There are things to rejoice in beyond rejoicing. About five years ago, my dad suddenly passed away. And some of you have heard me talk about this. And I remember walking down the hallway at the hospital. My mom was in the hallway just brokenhearted because he died suddenly from an aneurysm. And my mom said to me, Matt, your dad's gone. And I mean, I almost screamed, no. We went into his hospital room, and there was my dad, but he wasn't there. 
And my mom looked at me, and my mom's a wonderful follower of Jesus. And she said, Matt, pray, pray, pray that he comes back to life. Now, you just need to know, if God would have told me somehow that I was supposed to do that, I would have done it. But as a pastor, I do not have superpowers. You just need to know that. I just don't have superpowers. I didn't feel like God was telling me to do that in that moment. And I looked at my mom, and I said, Mama, Dad's with Jesus right now. He's in heaven. Forgive me for what I'm about to say, but this is what I said. I said, if I pray for him and he comes back and he has to come back to this world, he is going to be so pissed off at us. He needs to say in heaven. That's what I said. And, and in that hospital room, we just chuckled a little bit and cried and chuckled. And ever since then, that's just been something we've always shared because my dad's in heaven. And we rejoice, even though we were sad and heartbroken and still are a little bit, we rejoice that he's with Jesus. There's something to rejoice about if you know Jesus. And the invitation will always be to come to Jesus. And you can read all the positive books you want, and you should, and watch all the positive TV shows, and you should. But we get to rejoice that a God that gave everything for us loves us. And maybe nowhere for me is that described better than another little writing to a people called the Hebrews in the New Testament. When the writer of Hebrews says this, he says, Therefore, since we are sounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And I am convinced right now that is bitterness, that is fear, that is negativity. Really, in our world, that's really super strong. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, going on, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That, that's it, fixing your eyes on Jesus. That is what we rejoice in. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy, I'm going to come back to that word, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you know that when Jesus went to the cross, joy was set before him? Do you know what that joy was? It was you. And it was me. It was my dad. It was my kids. It was your family. It was the people in this world. It was the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. It's the liberals and the conservatives. It's everybody in between. That when Jesus was walking towards that cross, he saw through the cross to the joy on the other side which was you that would be offered forgiveness and hope forever. Consider, it says, him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and not lose heart. My friends, we cannot grow weary and we cannot lose heart. And if you don't believe in Jesus, I, I hope you do soon. I hope you take that step. But if you do right now, you cannot afford to glow, grow weary and lose heart because partly the world's watching. And people that follow Jesus have not done a really good job of leading the way to say, we have hope, we're, we're secure, we have trust. We believe God holds the whole world in our hands and we have an opportunity to do that. Can you imagine what the world would look like if people that actually believed in Jesus lived like Jesus actually held the whole world in his hands? And remember, this is written to us by a name, guy named Paul, who was eventually walked out of that prison, outside the gates of the city, and they most likely they cut his head off for what he believed. But he believed in something bigger and better. And he escaped the trap of negativity. 
So I would just love for you to consider taking every thought captive that is not what is pure and right and noble. For finding better inputs in your life. And to rejoice, strategically rejoice throughout the day in ways that you can remember that God has done something in our world and in you that is remarkable. And he's beautiful. And he's bigger than I thought he was. And he holds the world in his hands. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these words of the Apostle Paul, who's an expert in pain and suffering, and yet he found a way to rejoice. Help us to escape the mind trap and negativity by replacing it with joy. And for the people in the room that seriously have overwhelming stuff in their lives, I pray that they would hold on to you, feel your love and your presence, and also have hope today in you. And thank you for the hope that's everlasting in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. We love you and we thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.